0: Hello, readers. Coming up, is my chat with Chris Bosch on letters to a young athlete. First, wanted to encourage you to go to booksonpod.com. We've just made some changes that allows you to have much more fun searching through our episodes. You can now sort episodes by author's last name, book title, or by subject. For instance, click on the philosophy section to check out episode number 73 with Ryan Holiday on Lives of the Stoics. Hey, I'm Ryan Holiday. I'm the author of Lives of the Stoics, The Art of Living from Zeno to Marcus Aurelius." You're listening to Books on Pod with Trey Elling. We have a great conversation where we try to see what we can learn from the ancients and apply to our modern lives. Hello, readers. Chris Bosch is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ, 11-time All-Star, Olympic gold medalist, and author of the new book, Letters to a Young Athlete. Chris, thank you for the time. How you doing today?
1: I'm doing good. I have no complaints. Thank you.
0: Great. So I really enjoyed this book, including you sharing an epiphanous moment that was the result of a question that Thomas Hill, one of your high school basketball coaches, asked you in the middle of what you called a pretty good practice. What did he ask and how did it impact you?
1: Um, you know, he, he asked me what I wanted to do with the game of, of basketball. Um, I was a gym rat growing up. I, that's It was nothing I loved more Um, Then working on my game, getting in the the gym and just practicing in this particular game. Well, not game, but this particular workout. It was just me and him. It was pretty hardcore. It was, uh, you know, on a weeknight on a school night, you know, and and it was at nighttime. And then we were just we were going hard. And, you know, I looked at him and, you know, I could tell he said, what do you what are you doing? What do you what do you want to do? And I said, I want to you know, I want to go to the division one. Uh, and play a division one basketball, you know, and, and play at a great school and all this good stuff. And he was like, yeah, but no, I'm not talking about that. That's easy. You're going to be able to do that. Start thinking bigger. Um, he challenged me to to understand what I'm playing for. And he challenged me to think deeply about what I want to do with the game. Who do I want to meet? Where do I want to go? What opportunities do I want to provide for myself and my family? Because, you know, you're pretty good. And he didn't say it in that way, but I could tell by the look in his eyes. So I said, okay, I must be pretty good. Cause he's looking at me kind of just like, he had this look he had. The, I mean, I can still see it to this day, but you know, I didn't know what he meant at the time. I did know that I had the talent um, to hopefully make the NBA, but he wasn't talking about talent. You know, he was talking about um, thinking deeper because anybody can have the talent to do something that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make the right choices. That doesn't mean that you have your head on straight so i continue to be a student of the game and really think deeply on what i wanted to do with it
0: so for people who
1: aren't fully
0: familiar with this book the title pretty much tells it all it's letters to young athletes 12 different letters where you offer up advice to young people on how they can go about achieving greatness whether it's in the sports world Mm -hmm. or a completely different realm altogether For instance, letter number one is when you ain't nothing but tired. That's the title. A few years into your career with the Raptors, you realized guys from the opposing team were asking you some variation of the same basic question. What was the question? How did you respond? And do you feel any differently about that question now?
1: (laughs) You know, it's, 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 it's... That's a concept, you know, when you're nothing but tired, that's that's a concept that, you know, we all have to fight through fatigue. Um, You know, it's an important thing and it's a part of the game. It's a part of life. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed when I got to the next level was just the best players as the game went on, they got stronger and faster. And they concentrated more and, and, you know, there you recognized that there was, at least I did, that there was another level. And, and so I started instituting that mind frame to push myself as much as I could. And, you know, that's, that's something that you have to practice because you don't want, you know, for it to be an unfamiliar feeling with your lungs and your legs burning and there's still time left on the clock. You know, um, that was that was one of the things we always tried to do as a team. And, you know, that I tried to do individually was to push myself because you, you're going to get tired. And 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 that's just in, in the moment right then. Right. You also have the mental fatigue and and dealing with the body fatigue, making yourself get up in the morning sometimes when you don't want to, you know, or doing the next game, playing the next game, going to your next meeting right in that next paper when you do not want to you know it's getting used to that it's accepting that um you're going to feel that but most importantly to act and still um um you know get the repetition in anyway because it counts
0: letter number two is you have to find your why and it can't be fame or money how did losing to the mavs in 2011 in the nba finals help shape your understanding of the concept of finding your why
1: I understood right then how a loss can just take someone out and they don't, uh, you know, they don't want to get back on the horse again, so to speak. I don't want to even play in the finals. It'll be way easier, you know, just to have a regular season. I still make my money, but you know, I won't get embarrassed. (laughs) I won't lose in front of everybody. I wanted more than that. And that's why it's important to have that. Why if it would have been fame or money or just a trophy or, a big bonus or something like that or whatever, losing that game, I wouldn't have been able to bounce back from that because it was deeper than that. I wanted to be a champion. I wanted to achieve great things with my team. I wanted to know what it felt like um, to accomplish a milestone. And that's really just in a short amount of time in a compact season. I wanted to accomplish something extremely difficult um, and see uh, if the visualization, if my mental preparation would stand up to the test of time and you know, that's that's eventually what happened. But in that moment, you know, I learned that you can lose and that hurts. You know, we don't think about losing. If you get to the big game or the big meeting or the big situation, right, you win it. You're being successful. Um, you know, that taught me that, you know, pertaining to the why, um, you know, we had to answer a lot of questions. Well, why do I want to get back up? Because that's what I do. I don't I don't let a perceived failure define me. It was a loss. You take it on the chin and you get better regardless the next season.
0: Letter number four is cultivating the mind. How did thinking of yourself as more than a basketball player actually help you as a basketball player?
1: (laughs) Yes. So um, one of my favorite things I used to do, uh, well, I still do, but during the season I would cook. Before a big game, I would cook food and, you know, I've always drawn and done music and you know, have all these creative hobbies, doing languages and all kind of uh, stuff. And, and you know, I found that when you take time away, I still work extremely hard, but it's good uh, in my craft, but it's good to have hobbies. And one of the fascinating um, things that I found was that, you know, you still, your brain continues to still work and make these connections while you're doing something else. But it's better ideas because you're relaxed and you're not, just tensed up and thinking about it when you do something else it's good to get the mind working on something else but then you'll make other connections you know that you didn't know were there so i saw that you know in a in a tremendous amount of activities that i did um i found myself you know reinvigorated and refreshed and mentally fresh and ready to go back to work or practice or, or 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 compete in that game but more importantly, like I said before, you get these ideas that you never would get unless you would do something else.
0: Within this letter, Chris, you talk about how, thanks to statistics, most shots are, are now taken in the NBA from three-point land or right around the basket. Being perfectly honest with you, one of the reasons I enjoyed watching you play, aside from your stoic manner that you conducted yourself with, was your mid-range game. But as you told Tim Ferriss in a recent interview, you recognized the direction that things were headed. So you became Mm -hmm. much more adept at shooting threes in the last three years of your career. Having said all of that, though, does it bum you out at all that the mid-range game is becoming a bit of a lost art in basketball?
1: I I do. It does. I mean, it it is a lost art. It's still an art form in that you know it's still a good shot if if you know it's the contested two. that's the thing that kind of gets kind of lost in the sauce a little bit you know it's the <laughs> contested two. it ranges it still works and and one of the things that I see that's exciting at least for me that I don't think enough players are taking advantage of I think the only dude really is Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic but getting on that elbow and operating there everybody else is at the three-point <laughs> you know yep, it's a lot of space that That's what I see as a player. That's what gets me excited. But I mean, you you know, eventually you just have to play the game. I understand people incorporating the data and the statistics, but, you know, a wide open mid range or a mid range shot in rhythm. It's a part of the game. And, you know, you can still play winning basketball, you know, incorporating those threes. But, you know, and and even with everybody shooting threes, you know, you would think like, oh, well, three is more than two. Well, statistically, a wide open layup is still the best shot. (laughs) in the game, but you know, it's good to see the game change and morph and be interpreted and reinterpreted. And and that's what makes it great. But the mid range is still there. It's been legends made off of that mid range. And I'm sure someone will eventually come and continue the art form. Letter number
0: six is titled sweep away the ego. Why was your own ego at the center of what you call one of your most regrettable moments in life back in 2006?
1: Um, Yeah. So I I, we we didn't we didn't win uh, in the world championships in 2006. We got beat by Greece in the semifinals Um, and and just throughout that whole process. I was 22 years old. LeBron, Carmelo, Dwayne, um, Amari, we were all peers. They were all on the U.S. team before in uh, in the Athens Olympics. And, and, you know, I was extremely competitive. I want to play. I want to be out there with my peers because I feel I belong. And so I was really just, you know, I really wanted to play, right? And, you know, in that kind of situation, you don't get as many minutes as you normally do because of, uh, you know, how dense um, the talent is on the team. And so, you know, I just, I just used that as, as an example because I didn't have the right attitude. I was worried about it was all about me, 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 and me not playing. Why doesn't coach play me? As opposed to saying, okay, well, what can I do to help the team? First and foremost, if I'm not playing as many minutes, am I talking to my teammates out there and telling them what I see? Am I, you know, attempting to maybe calm somebody down if they're heated because there were a couple of bad calls? I was only thinking about myself and <clears throat> I write about it as well. It may not have been just out there and boisterous and and, and, and a super huge distraction. But and I'm not saying, that you know, I hindered the team or helped the team, but I damn sure didn't help them. You know, and and just having that mentality and then coming up short and losing, it, it always sat with me and I always realized like, man, what if what if I would have had the right attitude as opposed to just worrying about myself and me getting the ball, if I even do get it, you know, it was just too many other things, uh, things outside of the team that I was worried about.
0: Well, and learning that lesson helped you to ultimately win a gold medal in the Olympics and then also a couple of NBA championships too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was right away. And and I recognized that mistake um, a couple of years later. Um, and <clears throat> I said, I had told myself uh, in 2008, look, whatever it takes to play, And, you know, I wanted to be a positive force on the team. I wanted to do anything necessary um, to help them win. And sometimes if it's asking uh, myself to get out of the way so that our ball handlers can function and perform, you know, so be it. And the funniest thing happened when I got out of the way, guess what happened? I got the ball. It was crazy. (laughs) So it it was just I'm really proud of that moment because I was able to you know, take Coach K's words, hear what he was saying, and say, okay, this is how I'm going to fit with this team.
0: Letter number nine is don't let them get to you. You recall the adage, criticism is a tax on success, which is a quote that's received quite a bit of deserved love as you've gone through the publicity tour for this book. And your point with this quote is that the better you are, the more negativity you're going to face. But to truly be great, you have to tune it out by focusing on the positives that got you there. That being Mm -hmm. said, though, Chris, I'm curious to hear what you think about Naomi Osaka's decision to not speak with the media at the French Open and ultimately withdrawing from that tourney. And is there any advice that you would offer to her on the best way to move forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, first off, I applaud her um, for speaking up a lot of the times as athletes, we'll be in pain. <laughs> we will be ailing mentally, physically and all that stuff. And we won't say a word. I applaud her uh, for speaking up because you have to say you have to take care of yourself first and foremost. So, you know, I say take care of cultivate the mind, cultivate the mind, um, you know, and I think that shows how serious it is, how serious her situation is, because like if, if the best player in the world withdraws from a major, you only get so many majors to even compete in, in your career. You know, she's worked her whole entire life to get to this point. And, you know, if she needs to take time, if she needs to withdraw uh, uh, from the French Open and take care of herself, then I applaud that all day, every day. Because if you're not right up here, there's no way you can perform. And even if you do perform and you're not taking care of yourself, your body, your mind, your spirit, it's just it's just going to continue to spin out of control so I applaud uh, Naomi for uh, speaking up and and I hope she does whatever is necessary um, um, to get better and when she's ready to come back to the game and compete you know come back and compete but I hope she's um, right now taking the time that she needs and using the tools that she has um, to overcome the situation.
0: Letter number 11 is winning and losing, not too high, not too low. As I mentioned earlier, I was always a fan of yours, in part because you had this stoic way about you. As a matter of fact, this whole project, this book project of yours, was started and helped along by Ryan Holiday, a former guest Mm -hmm. on this show and a guy who has pretty much single-handedly repopularized stoicism. So it's not (laughs)
1: surprising
0: that the first time you quote one of the great stoics, Seneca, is in Mm -hmm. this chapter. What does the concept of stoicism mean to you?
1: I mean, it's kind of like that concept, right? Not too high, not too low. Um, You always have to concentrate on the task at hand, regardless of what's going on. Or you have to make sure that you're not suffering over something that you cannot control. And that was one of the things that, you know, me and Ryan, you know, connected on. um, Before we even met, I was, you know, reading Seneca and (laughs) reading the Stoic philosophy and just, you know, trying to get some sort of sense uh, from it. And, you know it it just helped me all the time. It helped me move on to the next thing. and more so, um that 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 uh, piece of advice and and those readings helped me in the playoffs because it's so emotional. You'll lose a game. everybody's down in the pits. You win a game, you're on the mountaintop, and you're gonna win it all, and you and you have two months of that. <laughs> you know and and I got um advice from my veterans to say, yeah, man, you don't wanna. Not too high, not too low. So I always try to find those concepts that would, would help me uh, stay even, that would help me move on to the next evolution, and and you know just concentrate on the things that I can control, which is effort, which is my attitude, and which is you know my enthusiasm in 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 bringing the necessary energy to win, to be a winner. I think those are the things you have to really bring regardless of if you're doing good or bad you know there's always hopefully you know going to be a day of work um tomorrow so it's moving on to that next thing that's what those things helped me with
0: in this book's conclusion you admit that winning a championship was much much easier to come to terms with than (laughs) never playing basketball again was there any one person moment or thing that really helped to allow you to gain closure in this regard
1: you know, it was um, I would say it was um, just a multitude of things over time, just mm. seeing uh, what could happen uh, to to you. Uh, I w- saw a couple of horrendous injuries during that time while I was out the game that kind of, you know, took took the juice out of me a little bit, um, spending time with my kids, um, getting acquainted with that and saying, yeah, I'm not going back on the road because they're used to me. And if I leave, they'll, you know, <laughs> they're <laughs> not going to like that. Um, and, you know, I realized how much time, you know, it, it took as a commitment for a uh, professional athlete, your, your family makes a huge sacrifice, you know, you're, you're not in the house as much, um, you know, so I started really realizing all of these things slowly over the course of about two years. And just eventually I came to those realizations. It was never one moment. It was like a collection of moments and conversations and instances. And then you know, really just getting to that rhythm of finding that rhythm for my life. And once I found that rhythm, uh, you know, I'm not breaking it. I'm, I'm going to keep it the same. I had to come to the realization that, hey, I've done it. You know, I, I had so many, so many friends told me, hey, yeah, you've done it all. What else do you want to do? And I could not answer their question. You know, it was just trying to satisfy my ego, right, and and put more points and more championships And more accolades on top. There there was nothing else I could do.
0: Final question, Chris: How often do you still let Kendrick Perkins know that you and your Dallas Lincoln (laughs) squad beat the pants off of he and his Beaumont Ozen group (laughs) back in 2002 for a state
1: championship? (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Me and Perk will be on. uh, Me and Big Perk will be on ESPN from time to time. It hasn't come up once. He'll sometimes, you know, he'll sometimes say it. I, I don't even have to remind him. It was. You know, and I look back so fondly on that. You know, on that game, I feel that that was the inception. Of course, we've been in Austin for a few years now, but I always have that connection uh, with Austin. Um, we had a saying at our school: "The road to Austin leads through South Dallas." You know, and <laughs> and we that, that was our motto, and we were always trying to get to Austin um, and compete at the Frank Irwin Center back when it was uh, back when it was there. But like. Yeah, I still think about that game. It was a it was a great game. Packed crowd. It was it was good times. But you know, in that moment, we had the eye of the tiger, man. Nobody was gonna stop us when we got there. We were we were a mean, quick spirited bunch that loved to plan together and had the utmost confidence. So, you know, there were good times.
0: Chris Bosch is a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ, 11-time All-Star, Olympic gold medalist, and the author of the new book, Letters to a Young Athlete. Chris, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this wonderful book.
1: Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for providing the intro and outro music, and thanks to you for listening. Join us again on Tuesday. The author is Kevin Roos. He is the New York Times technology columnist and author of Future Proof, Nine Rules for Humans in the Age of Automation. We'll talk to you then on Books on Pod.